Hello everyone and welcome to Trinity College Dublin and to the Academic Practice Podcast, Coffee and Cobblestones. My name is Pauline Rooney, I'm an academic developer at Trinity and in this episode we will be discussing how to successfully supervise students remotely, a theme which has become increasingly important over the last two years during the COVID pandemic and no doubt going forward. I'm delighted to be joined here today by an international expert in remote supervision and doctoral education, Professor Bob Harris from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. Bob CV is extensive and impressive. Along with being an active supervisor, he is currently Professor of Immunotherapy in Neurological Diseases and Academic Vice President of Doctoral Education at the Karolinska Institute. He's also President of Orpheus, the Organization for PhD Education in Biomedicine and Health Sciences in the European System an organisation which aims to stimulate quality assurance of PhD research and education and to strengthen career opportunities for PhD graduates. Bob, thanks a million for joining us here today. It's, it's really great to have you here with us. My pleasure to be here. Bob, in your, in your work, you rightly note that remote supervision brings new opportunities for us in higher education, but it also brings new challenges, not least maintaining connection, communities and contact. How do you like to negotiate the remote space as a supervisor? Yeah, it's a really good question to start with. And I think the the short answer, of course, one is to reflect upon that this is something new. So that's the opportunity to learn something new. Uh, and it's been forced on us, but then we have to adapt. So, so that one should come in with a with the right attitude that one has something to learn and something to develop. I think that's the positive uh, view on the whole thing. But the, the most important message is you need to own the space. And how you own the space is to actually design how you're going to do. The job is basically the same as uh, before when you're doing face-to-face supervision. You have the same responsibilities. Uh, you have the same uh, expectations from on, on, as you, on your role as a supervisor and what you expect your, your students to be doing. So sort of out of sight, out of mind, this absolutely does not apply. And one needs to actually then be proficient in how one conducts oneself by doing remote remote supervision. And one needs to give it a lot of thought then about how am I going to do this in, in the good way? What's going to be the difference from when I have someone sitting in, in my office face to face? It's very difficult to, if you think, for example, we communicate with body language and, and now we, we look at each other with just the, the, the head and, and the shoulders. So we're lacking a lot of the cues. We can't see what people are doing with their bodies. And it's very difficult to, to read people's faces because people are, are good at putting on poker faces as well. So this, this means that you really need to study the people that you're talking to. Uh, and so one, one needs to, 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 to really think about how will I develop the skill sets which are then I can make uh, that, that are available to me in this format. And, and that's different from what you normally do. So I think that, that that's really the take home message. One needs to think about how am I going to structure this? How is it going to work for me? How is it going to be interesting? I think it's quite outrageous to, to, to read the reports that uh, read a statistic recently, 80% of people who sit in digital meetings are actually doing something else. Uh, and 80% is a rather large uh, percent. That means really that digital meeting formats are not really very efficient if you're not having an, a good communication, if people are not really concentrating on what's going on and doing something else on the computer or on their telephone. So I think that one needs to, to really address this and structure it and have a conversation about how one is best going to do it. 
So without owning the space, without really feeling that you you know how to get the best out of uh, a digital format, there are many people now, even after two years, that still don't understand the basics of Zoom, for example, or Teams, and what the positive and negative sides of those different formats are. There are other formats one can use as well. So the very first thing you need to do is make sure you master the technology. You know how to, to share your screen. You know how to invite different people. You know how to do breakout groups, or whatever, depending on, on what the format of your meeting is. But without that knowledge, then you know, you're just being amateur and we should be amateur in anything we're doing. We should be professional. So own the space. And that means spending the time you need to make sure that you're completely competent. That's the first step. Bob, you've raised some really interesting and practical points there. And some of these practical concerns have been raised by many of our supervisors at Trinity, particularly concerns around how to keep students on track and motivated in a remote context. Do you have any advice, for example, on how often you should meet remote students? And when supervising those in different time zones or those with connection issues due to their physical location, how do you manage that? I think this is really very personal, but it's something that you need to plan together with your with your PhD students that you 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 arrive at a consensus. And it might be that if you have several PhD students that they want to do this in different ways. And in that respect, it can be individual for each of your students, even though your role is the same for for, for each of them. So one needs to negotiate a plan. The idea of uh, digital meetings is not to be a police. You know, to, to check in, uh, should you meet every day? What should be the frequency of your act, action? It depends on, on, on you, on, on your student, on the, the project, on the work that you perceive they will be able to do remotely as well. It might be they're not all PhDs. So for some PhD students, it's a dream to be able to work from home because the, their projects and their, their, their studies would actually uh, allow that really, really efficiently. So many students are actually happier to be working at distance. Others are, have more practical things to do. They're not able to work. And so one needs to define the tasks that are possible to do. So it's all about planning. And, and more so than, than just the frequency of interaction, you need to make sure that the student uh, or whoever else you're, you're supervising is working from home, is working in an environment which is permissible to actually feel that you're working sitting on the sofa with a computer on a cushion on your knees with the television on the background is not the good working environment you know so uh, if it's possible the one is to to think about the physical uh, provisions of actually and not everyone lives in accommodation which is uh, sizable enough to be able to define a special room as your workroom but I've spoken to students who actually, you know, they get dressed and they go to their workplace. And when they're in that room, they're at work. And then when they come out, then they're in a private space within the same abode and they become a, a private person. So I think one needs to discuss with each individual what they need to do in order to get into the frame of mind. And now I'm now I'm at work as opposed to now I'm, you know, having a day at home and I'm working from home. So working from home is a relative thing if you're not actually working efficiently. And all these things need to be discussed and they'll be very individual. Some people work well at home. I don't myself, which is why I continue to come into the workplace. Uh, uh, I can do that in a, in a, in a uh, safe way. Uh, and, and I work a lot better. So one needs to, one needs to have that discussion and it might be that different students will need diff different things. So how often, how long you will do it. It's not very efficient to sit. What one difference of having a digital meeting is that it's a lot harder to concentrate. 
And we know that when we're lecturing or when you're having face-to-face meetings that you usually say 45 minutes is about as long as you can stay interested. So anything over that, you need to put in breaks. It's even more so. You need more breaks in a digital uh, uh, meeting. So it's not, you can't sit there for two hours like nonstop and have a, have a, a good interaction. So one instead can schedule shorter meetings, but more regularly in order to, to do bite-sized tasks. And I think that that's one of the keys. But it's all about the planning, really. You know, don't, don't try and take on two big things that the, the student will necessarily feel swamped by and, and, and feel that this is going to be impossible to do. So try and think of tasks that can be done bite-sized uh, and, and have this regularity, which is something that you agree on. The time of day is something you should agree, agree on. Some people are morning people, some people are afternoon people. It's, it's, you, need to, you need to also think about that. How am I going to get the best out of this interaction, both for myself and for the other person? And this is even more uh, important if you have students overseas where you have time differences that need to be put in, uh, a lot more challenging. But one needs to, to have those conversations and not demand that it's done one way and make sure if you're going to get the most out of them, if they're going to be the most efficient, that everyone's happy or happy as one can be uh, with the format of them. So I think that those are uh, some of the things one can think about. And then, of course, the, it's not just the digital meeting, but it's actually checking in on what's going. There are other digital formats, sharing information. So you're not stuck with just the, you know reporting. And, and to have productive meetings, then it's, it's actually your benefit to see whatever you need to see information-wise beforehand. So that when you actually come face to face on screen, then you can just discuss about things you've already seen and already have an opinion about, rather than sitting there and being shown data or or other documents uh, on the spot. So those are those are the, some of the, some of the thoughts I had together. But the most important thing is that you plan it together. It needs to be mutually agreeable that this is the best game plan. And of course, you know, if it doesn't work, you need to be able to modify it and be flexible about that. You know. Yes, absolutely. Bob, you're touching on some of the themes which have emerged in Trinity around how to bridge those personal connections. And this has been a particular challenge over the last two years. With remote working during the pandemic, I think that we recognise that the lack of in-person contact, which we've already been discussing here, can bring feelings of isolation both for us as supervisors and for our students. And I'm wondering, how do you build relationships and a sense of community with your own students? I think uh, for, for new relationships, it's more difficult, but you already have a relationship with your students if you're already uh, on the go with them. So I don't think you need to build anything new. One just needs to, to, to maintain the relationship that you have. I, I, I question whether people are actually, I think we would dramatize this feeling of isolation. Many people actually have uh, family or significant others, or they have a network of people, even for foreign students that are thinking, oh, maybe they're a bit more isolated. They're used to having digital uh, link-ups with uh, family and friends. So I think one needs to actually question whether people are isolated. They work isolated, absolutely. But are they isolated? So are they like really going to be feeling bad? Uh, of course, it's important to have an interaction within the work space as well. Uh, but one can organize uh, the, the, the type of activities that one would normally have in my field of uh, research, of course, basic medical res- uh, science. Then we have the lab meetings, we have journal clubs, and so one has interactivity, just the same as you would if you were doing it face-to-face. So complete isolation, I haven't really heard too many accounts uh, with, with, within my network of people feeling miserable being alone and, and seeking uh, contact. 
Uh, and, and of course, if you get used to doing digital interactions efficiently, then you have this contact anyway, and you can see people and you can feel, you just get used to to taking it for what it is and, and, and thinking that this would be enough and to make it as enjoyable as possible. So I think that we over-dramatize this feeling that people are locked away and miserable in their in the tiny rooms and, and not interacting with people. They still have to go out and buy food. You still have to, to interact or walk the dog or whatever. So, so I think one should not over-dramatize that. But you know your students. So you know what they're, hopefully, you know something about their, their personal lives or, or or how potential that risk for isolation is. And of course, if you think it's, it is more of a risk, then one needs to work a little bit harder to, to make sure one check, is checking in a little bit of the, uh, more often. Leading on from that, I know that you have a keen interest in the mental health of research students and supervisors, a theme which has become increasingly pertinent during pandemic lockdowns over the last two years. If you have any concerns about the students' well-being or welfare, what is the best way to deal with your concerns as a supervisor? Yeah, it's a more difficult question because uh, you almost certainly within the university have support facilities. You have healthcare professionals that can provide uh, support if in, in, in more extreme cases. But the question is whether you can actually get people in touch with that when, when you're not supposed to be in the workplace. So uh, the, the from a more personal point of view your responsibility the supervisor is just really to try and pick up on it and and as i've already said it's quite difficult when you're communicating in the way that you're doing where you're not seeing you're not getting all the body language cues and um and one needs to be interested i think the the, the key thing uh, with any type of communication is to be a good listener not to actually just be a good talker so you know and and while i'm talking about the hidden cues that you would get with body language or you need to listen to what people are saying. And, and if you're not really paying attention or if you're just trying to do a quick meeting because I have to do this because it's part of my remit, otherwise I'm going to be considered to be a bad supervisor, there's a chance, of course, that you, you'll, you'll miss out on this. But I think more than than the, the, the health, we put a lot of focus or there's a, there's a, there is a lot of focus within uh, higher education institutes about the mental health of the students, but less so about the supervisors. And and the and the, the pandemic is is frustrating and, and demoralizing for for the supervisors as well. So I think the 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 very most important lesson is you can't help someone else if you're not feeling good yourself. Uh, you can't be emotionally supportive if you're 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 emotionally unstable yourself. So one of the most important things is to make sure that you're doing okay. Um, but uh, because then you'll be more potentially be able to pick up on if someone else isn't. So one needs to be uh, sort of a good example at each time, uh, all the time. Uh, and of course, then there's sort of there's aspects of flexibility. People have good days and bad days. So just because someone's looking a bit miserable today, does that really mean that there's a problem? So again, it's it's very easy to over-dramatize things. But I think one needs to, to if you know something about the personal uh, personality of, of your students, then you'll be better suited to know whether you think that this is a change in their behavior or, or not which is more than you'd expect by just having a digital communication. So it's a, it's a really difficult one, you know, and, and if you haven't got that fingertop uh, uh, feeling and, and sort of people skills, then, then the chances are that you're more likely to miss out on these things, which is uh, quite okay because everyone is different. But otherwise, then, then uh, one can discuss in general terms what happens if 
and, and to make the students understand where there are support mechanisms available. And if you would be feeling bad, this is how you're doing. And, and that you have the responsibility to repeat again and again, to give them that sense. Even if you can't be the person to help them, then there is someone else to help. So I think that, again, this is all about planning and it's all about communication. But it's a it's a more difficult one. But uh, and and the most important thing, if you're not feeling good yourself, then the chances are you're not going to be able to help someone else. So take care of yourself as well. And lastly, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners on how you can best prepare for remote supervision? Yeah, I mean, the, the preparing is really just to, the, the, there are four points, I say. I mean, the, the, your responsibility hasn't changed. That's the most important thing. You're not thinking that this is a different type of supervision. Your responsibility is to monitor the progress of your PhD student to give them feedback. And that, that you can do in this way as well. So, so accept your responsibility, understand what your role is. Uh, the second point then was the, the work environment and anything you can do to make sure if people, uh, you know, make sure they have good internet connections because have, trying to have digital meetings with bad internet connections is not not such a good thing. So so make sure that the flex that the practical infrastructure is as good as as can be and have this discussion about well can you define a space within your home which is your workspace or when you sit in that spot that you're in work mode as opposed to do something else uh, to make to make the, the the interactions efficient uh, be aware of the psychosocial issues both for yourself and for your student because it's not the same and and we are uh, by nature humans will like interaction and there is a chance that people will feel isolated even if they're having interactions uh, with friends and family and with you as a supervisor through digital means for some people it won't be enough uh, so uh, have discussions open discussions about these things just to raise if this would happen then this is what one can think about and do uh, and then the last point is really to try and continue as many of the the scientific uh, interactions that you normally have, whether it be journal clubs or lab meetings or or, or whatever. Some people like to, to to offer sort of social interactions. You know, they have dinners together, sit around having lunch or whatever, or or trying to do quizzes or something else, or looking at a uh, a cool video or something together and having a discussion about it. Just as more social interaction. If that works for you, it's something to think about as well. But the most important thing is that the normality of the student situation should be as much as possible when it comes to what's included in their PhD. So make that effort to make sure that there are uh, for, uh, forums, whether they be uh, just for you and your student, whether it be for the, your lab, whether it be for large organizations, to have these lectures, to have these training moments, the educational activities should continue. And this is in this way that your student will be able to continue with their PhD program, even though you're, you're not seeing each other face to face. So I think those are my uh, those are the four four aspects to, to consider to be a good remote supervisor. They are really, really great tips. And that's a great note to finish on. Thank you so much, Bob. It, it's been really interesting to hear your thoughts on this. And we are so delighted to have had you here today to share your expertise with us. It's my pleasure. I think that uh, you know, as 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 a scientist, and you, you're, we what we do in in our research is to make hypotheses, test them, and modify them accordingly, whether they're, they've been proven to be correct or not. And it's much the same here. You need to test your way, and, and not go in and say, well, this is the way I'm going to do it, and that's the way it has to work, and and modify, and but it's just taking more care as opposed to taking less care. You know, then, then that's and, and that's a cool, cool new skill set to uh, develop. So, 
Absolutely. And an important one for all of us. Thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you.